The political world is becoming increasingly volatile and unpredictable, while at the same time having a profound impact on the lives of citizens across the globe. This is Polis Podcast, and I am Thomas Barton, the founder of Polis Analysis. Every week, I'll be in the virtual armchair with relevant experts from Polis teams to discuss the key developments shaping the political world. All we need is for you to join us on the virtual sofa. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Polis podcast. Uh, today we'll be staying with the uh, sustainability and climate change theme. I'm joined by a special guest, uh, Ted Christie Miller. Uh, Ted works as the head of carbon removals at V0 Carbon. And uh, we're going to be talking about the issue of greenwashing. Um, and you know, given uh, it's coming to the end of the uh, COP26 summit, uh, we'll have a bit of a broader conversation on uh, climate change as well. Um, Ted, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me today. Um, thanks for coming onto the podcast. Uh, would you mind, first of all, just helping our listeners understand what you actually do, what your organization uh, is involved in, you know, what's the scope of your work and so on? Yeah, of course. And, and Thomas, thanks so much for, for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Um, yeah, so, so in my previous life, I, I ran the climate research at the think tank onward, but uh, I recently started at uh, the climate solutions business, B Zero Carbon, uh, as head of carbon removals. So um, the business itself is, uh, we, you know, the core of what we're doing is we're creating the largest data and analytics platform for the carbon credit market in the world. Um, and, and for carbon credits, for those that don't, aren't familiar with this, um, they're sometimes known as offsets. Uh, and they're one way of addressing the problem of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, uh, and there are carbon projects which contribute to, to this market around the world. So you've got everything from to forests in Peru, for instance, or new technologies to that look to remove carbon, like direct air capture. Um, and that's the, the bit that I'm really working on is the, the technological removals. And um, removals is, is like set to be really one of the, the key parts of our emission abatement. So, you know, the Climate Change Committee, who are the government's top advisors on this stuff, they, they say that we need one sixth of our uh, abatement, uh, our emission abatement by 2050 will come from removals. Uh, and, but at the moment, this is a very, very nascent industry. So we're um, we're sort of at the start of something exciting, but it's um, it's still for the very early days. Um, and the, the company itself, so as I said, they work in carbon credit markets. Um, and what we're trying to do is fix the market. At the moment, there is no correlation between the price and the quality of a carbon offset, um, and it just doesn't work in the way of a normal a normal market. Um, and so we create the B zero carbon rating, which uses sort of a number of risk factors like additionality and permanence to basically rate those those credits. Um, and yeah, as I said, I run the, the the research and outreach for the for the technological removals and really trying to make B zero the the go to place and the authority on 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 tech removals. Brilliant. No, that sounds fascinating, and I think you've just proven to our listeners you're, uh, that you're not, you're surely an authoritative uh, uh, individual on this on this subject. Um, I mean, give, given you're working at a private company, maybe it's best to start uh, with the role that the private sector uh, has to play when it comes to to dealing with climate change, and then we can get a little bit into greenwashing later on. But what do you think, Ted? Uh, private companies should be doing, if anything, uh, to solve the the climate change crisis. I think they've got a, a major role, and actually, in in I remember when I was back onward, and we did some polling that 
that the general public really do think that businesses have a huge play to part in this. Uh, and I think there's, I suppose their role to me is twofold. So on, on the one hand, you've got, uh, they, need to, they need to be embracing ESG and they need to be embracing corporate responsibility um, uh, and they need to take personal responsibility for their emissions. Uh, and work towards that that net zero target by, by 2050 at the latest. Um, so that's the sort of one thing they need to you know, take ownership for themselves. Uh, and secondly, I think that this is partially a, a, a governmental thing, but also it's up to the private sector. We need to drive private investment into to green infrastructure, and you see. Um, the government trying to do this in a number of ways at the moment. We've got, you know, the UK Infrastructure Bank, for instance, which um, we we recommended recommended an iteration of it um, uh, about a year ago, uh, and and you know trying to get as much of that uh, for net zero as possible. Um, and then the Green Guilt as well, um, which uh, welcomed a lot when that was announced. But these sort of mechanisms are crucial for to really driving private capital uh, to, to help. With the net zero transition and it can't all be on the public purse we just can't afford to do that um uh, and so they have a, have an enormous part to play but do you feel as though is that, a, is that a, a question of affordability is that the reason why the government's you know pushing for an approach which crowds in private investment or could you argue that they're shifting responsibility uh, onto the private sector i mean we saw in, in during cop 26 for instance uh, i think it was on the finance day which was last week uh, that Rishi Sunak announced that 40% of uh, financial assets will be aligned to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement in 2015 in terms of uh, reducing uh, global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which I think accounts for about 130 trillion worth of assets. And that's because uh, the UK government um, and other actors are going to ensure that uh, financial services, organisations and big institutions uh, essentially publish their net zero plans. I mean, do you feel as though that's because uh, government sees as an opportunity to go a bit for like a money grab and ensure that investment's done by the, the private sector instead of uh, government when it comes to uh, you know, plans to mitigate climate change? Look, well, I, sp- I suppose in my eyes, I mean, we've already got the highest spending government, um, you know, in, in since the war um uh and i don't think you know that we want it all to be saddled with the taxpayer like that's not going to be good for any of us uh and also the majority of capital does lie outside of government so actually there is you know private companies um have as much a role if not bigger than anyone to be to be tackling this because of the the capital power that they do have okay and and, and given that point then if if, uh, if you feel that you know the private sector has a role to play um, maybe it's it's the right time to explain this greenwashing uh, concept. I mean, can you can you define greenwashing for our, for our listeners just so they understand what what the issue is? Yeah, so I, I'd say I mean you could I suppose you can define it by just saying that it's it's a company conveying a false impression of their their green their environmental credentials, um, and I suppose the aim of it is to deceive customers into to buying using their services. Um, because of that that green image so uh, you know if, if a company for instance tells all their customers that they're, they're carbon neutral but um, don't decarbonize and just buy you know uncredited unrated offsets which don't do anything and uh, actually have sort of negative co-benefits um, then you know that's bad practice and would be constituted to greenwashing but um, it's quite a it's still quite a vague term 
and it's not very you know it's not very neatly defined um so uh, that's probably as as close as i can get to defining it but i mean you can you know it's, it's very easy for anyone that wants to call something greenwashing to just throw that label on it when um i don't think it's probably the most helpful term uh, where it's better to really actually just look at companies on case-by-case basis and um judge them on, on their action really Sure. And I mean, why, why do you think that our listeners should be uh, concerned with this, this issue of greenwashing where certain companies are trying to uh, portray an image of being uh, you know, climate friendly and taking, taking action to green their own operations when actually you know, they're, doing, they're not doing that at all, they're doing the reverse? I mean, why is that something that should concern our listeners? Well, I, I mean, the, if your listeners, which they are, I mean, you know, if they care about tackling climate change, uh, t- two thirds of the general public do, uh, and that that number is even higher when you look at under under thirty fives. Um, you know, people really think we need to do more to tackle climate change. Um, and if you, as a as a sole actor, uh, you care about it and you want to have action, you you know, use your money and your vote to ensure change. Like that's the sort of the main vices we have to to you know contribute to this. Um, and if you're doing that, but you're you're um, buying products which you think are doing the best for the environment, and you are using companies that that you know say they are the the right choice, but in actual fact they're not, um, then it's it's a bit of a betrayal in my eyes. And actually, um, you know that that's the sort of thing that that would really upset consumers. Right, and and I mean, I'm I'm wondering in your current role if you've come across any information or data which suggests that. If a consumer uh, found out that uh, an organisation where they were you know, purchasing goods or services from was involved in greenwashing, whether they would you know shift their shift their behaviour, uh, you know look to go to a competitor, for instance. I mean, have you come across any data or information that would suggest that they might modify their their activity? So there is there's fairly limited data on it at the moment, but um, it's funny you mention it actually because we we've we're um, commissioning some polling at the moment, um, which we will be. Um, you know, publishing the, the a research note around it uh, at the beginning of next month. So um, soon there will be good data on it, uh, but that's specifically looking at, at the offsets and removals and um, the trust element of this. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. And then you know, we, we talked a bit earlier about you know, the role that the private sector can uh, can play when it comes to sustainability, you know, the fact that ultimately they have uh, the ability to uh, you know, spend you know, trillions worth of uh, uh, of, of pounds in, in, in public investment and, and so forth. Um, I mean, what, uh, what impact does private sector involvement in uh, tackling climate change have uh, on, our, on our readers? Because at the moment, I mean, if you're, if you're living in the UK, for instance, uh, where a lot of our, our, our readers and our listeners are based, um, it's clear that you know, government has, has recently been taking action on uh, climate mitigation, which will have an impact on, on, on consumers. So, for instance, if you live in London, uh, if you have a diesel car, now you've got to essentially pay like a, a charge every time you drive your, your diesel car in London. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, in recent years, like uh, levies introduced on, on plastic bags. So it's clear that there are certain uh, costs, if you want, that are being passed on to the consumer. Um, I think individuals are, are realising that they have a, you know, a role to play as well in uh, tackling climate change from the uh, you know, the food they consume and their diets, for instance, uh, to the way they travel and so forth. Um, what, what, what impact does private sector involvement in all of this have on the lives of, of individuals? I think you make some good points there about, um, you know, how this will 
potentially hurt consumers. And I think that is one thing that the government is very, very wary of um, and are treading extremely carefully to make sure that it doesn't hit consumers this transition, especially low-income households. And I think there are there are certain mechanisms they put in place to safeguard that. Um, but I do think that it's it's a constantly um difficult thing to be to be facing for the government as they do this but in terms of what the private sector can do i mean i'll just get you know looking back at the, your, your previous question i mean this will just not happen without the private sector taking action like you you cannot just have state-sponsored climate change mitigation it will be hugely costly and um uh, the state is not always the best place uh, to sort of have innovation <laughs> let's say and uh yeah. you know we need enormous amounts of innovation before 2050 if we're going to do this and you need to really harness the market you need to harness the private sector to be able to do that sure and do you think that people will feel comfortable uh, with the fact that we need to trust the private sector to uh, to find solutions to the climate problem i mean you you say that you know the private sector is often uh, better uh, than the public sector when it comes to innovation, for instance, and we do hear about you know companies uh, introducing new technologies that uh, that are highly impressive when it comes to tackling uh, climate change and greenhouse uh, gas emissions. I mean, uh, off air, you you mentioned the, uh, an example to me just before we we had this conversation. Um, I mean, do you feel as though uh, people will have enough confidence in companies uh, to take the action that's needed, especially given the uh, the rise of greenwashing and the fact that there are companies out there that are making all these announcements uh, when it comes to sustainability because they think it's good PR, uh, but they're not necessarily actually fundamentally changing their behavior. I mean, there was a piece that I, I saw in the media recently about the uh, some of the sponsors of COP26, because uh, of private sector uh, companies that, that are sponsoring the summit. Uh, and there's an article that sort of suggests that a lot of these companies who are sponsoring uh, COP26 are actually not very sustainable themselves and that they could be going further, faster uh, to green their own operations. So do you feel as though people will have will have confidence? Well, I think, you, you know, it's, it's hard to judge the private sector as one, as one beast that's hugely differing, uh, mm. differing players in this. Uh, and I mean, if you're looking at from the carbon removal spaces, there's some companies which are doing incredible things and basically replacing government where government should be putting money into this, like Stripe, for instance, and Microsoft and Shopify. And, and like these, these companies, these big, big tech companies are getting behind very early, early stage carbon removal technologies and giving them like they're, they're almost sort of changing into these VC funds for these for these technologies. And it's like amazing work. And they've done a huge amount to propel the sector forward. So they've done amazing things. But also there are obviously instances where there has been an element of greenwashing and there has been, um, you know, they, they will say, look, we're going to do net zero by X date uh, with no clue how they get there and probably relying on, on, you know, very poor quality carbon offsets, which is just not the way that we're going to, you know, affect change and actually have you know, positive climate change mitigation. And um, so, you know, there, there is, there's a huge range. Um, and I think it's, you know, actually what we're doing is really trying to add a layer of transparency. So people yeah. will know exactly what kind of um, offsets they are using. And um, because there is such a wide, wide range in it. And, I mean, and when we, so we're launching a, a, a sort of a platform about a month, that will be sort of the alpha version. And then next year we'll be uh, launching a full version of it. 
uh, and that will really be able to give a lot of clarity to, to the carbon credit market and as a result will allow businesses uh, well firstly to, to actually make the decisions that they want to make and not have to rely on consultants or just buying bad offsets um, but secondly it will also force them to have that that um, that transparency and, and force them to, to spend uh, you know good money on good removals, good offsets, because actually there will be this data and analytics platform which we are building that will that will do that for them. And, and if your organisation, among others, succeed in uh, bringing greater transparency to the carbon credit market, looking ahead, I mean, what do you think will what do you think will happen if 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 your uh, if your model uh, will you know lead to a uh, better understanding in the public uh, domain in terms of which companies are actually, you know, uh, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and actually uh, being responsible and making their operations greener. Um, and if, you know, at the same time, greater transparency will reveal those companies that are not doing enough uh, to mm. tackle climate change. What, what do you think will actually happen to those to those companies? Well, look, I mean, you know, it's not the purpose of what we're doing, but... Um... You know, I can envisage, envisage a world where the B zero um, carbon markets platform is, you know, ha has, uh, you know, most of the world's offsets rated, and then you could, you know, theoretically dig in and see exactly how, you know, X company has been offsetting for years, looking backwards, and it probably will um, expose some companies, but that is not really what we're what we're trying to do. And um, what we're trying to do is, is just make sense of this market. And I think, you know, just back to your question around what companies what what if they will if they'll face any action i think it's unlikely there to be sort of sanctions or fines for instance because you know it hasn't been illegal doing this that's part of the problem and sure. you know they're very well within their rights to be doing it it's just hasn't been best practice really um and in many cases you know they don't even know how poor the offsets they're buying are and i mean that's why we're creating this is so that then companies know exactly how to make the right actions and minimize their risk when it comes to corporate sustainability. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, that, that's a good point. You don't necessarily feel as though there'll be hard action like uh, like fines and sanctions. Uh, but then again, you could argue that, you know, these companies could still suffer from reputational damage. And we know that reputation sure. matters a, a huge amount, especially in the context of ESG investing, for instance, I mean, potentially uh, listed companies, uh, that are uh, seem to be uh, greenwashing, uh, you know, through greater transparency uh, measures that your organisation and others can introduce. You know, potentially they'll see actually that they'll they'll fall out of favour um, with with investors, um, and you know that that could have a, a huge impact on uh, on these businesses. Yeah, there's significant, um, you know, there's, there's reputational risk definitely, but um, I think. You, you, you know, it, it'll be hard to judge people so re retroactively. I think it will just be mean that there'll be more positive, uh, um, more positive action going forward rather than lingering on the past too much. I think you know we we've got to this point where uh, you know car carbon offsets have hit the, uh, an all time high. I think I saw in a, a, a piece of work this morning of a report by System Marketplace that it's now a, a billion dollar market. Um, I mean, it's it's now getting to the stage where we need to sort it out. Um, and harness all that that capital for good, um, and, and you know stamp out where it's gone wrong. But I think you know it's not worth lingering too much on the past. Really look, looking forward and see how it can help tackle climate change. And and yeah, you talk about looking forward. So <laughs> looking forward, then are you feeling optimistic uh, that you know greenwashing can be dealt with and transparency can be brought 
to the market or do you think it's a huge mountain to climb yeah i i think i i am optimistic i think you know what you know if if we pull this off at b0 i mean we will uh, be a important important um fixture in, in tackling this this problem and i also think um there's there's sort of increasing traction in government and you know having in, from my past life in, in policy, I know that there's, there's more and more thinking going into this, and I think that regulation will come down the track to help to help tackle it. And you've even seen, you know, the, the, I can't remember how they labelled it, but there's a greenwashing task force that was announced just a few weeks ago to look into this. So you know, there's there's action happening, and I think I'm positive um, about about where we're going in the future. Okay, well, it's always nice to have a a bit of optimism, <laughs> especially when you're talking about an issue as as consequential as as climate change. Um, but just to have a bit of a quick fire uh, round uh, with you, Ted. I mean, you, you spoke earlier about how people feel as though uh, pri private companies have a role to play in tackling climate change. They don't just look to you know, governments and politicians. Um, I mean, yes or no, uh, are, are private companies, in your view, uh, today doing enough to tackle uh, the climate problem? Well, I think I'll probably go back to what I said before, and that as you know, some are some are doing fantastic things. As I said, those tech companies which I highlighted earlier. I mean, they are huge backers of of carbon removal technologies, um, and you know, direct air capture in particular. Um, and I, you know, urge other companies to follow suit. And um, we're increasingly getting a lot more interest in this area, and people realise that it'll be a huge part of the future. Um, and so, you know, some are doing fantastic things and like really you know uh, are sticking to their word on sustainability some um less so and uh, are doing it for a bit of pr bluff um uh, but I, I think you know it's, it's you can't you can't um paint them all with the same brush there's there's a huge variety in there um and actually you know i think over the last even just the last three years you've seen a, a massive leap uh forward where companies would never even think about this stuff and now they are um you know having whole sustainability teams built into their companies and thinking about it really uh properly and actively and i think that's that's brilliant thing no you're, you're completely correct um although i suppose uh, you could argue that even if the private sector is waking up to the urgency of the issue uh you know some world leaders perhaps could also be doing more uh to complement what the private sector is doing to tackle climate change so with that in mind uh, the COP26 summit uh, is wrapping up today. Uh, last time I was on the podcast, I was joined by another guest and one of our uh, climate uh, analysts, and we were talking about COP26 and whether the summit would be uh, successful, uh, despite, for instance, uh, leaders of uh, huge carbon emitters like China uh, boycotting essentially the summit. I mean, do you feel as though COP26 has been on the whole a, a success or a, or a failure? I'm tentatively, very tentatively, going to say it's it's going to be a success. But you know, we're not. It's not all all done and dusted, and you know, the final the final negotiations haven't been um, haven't been published. So, uh, tentatively a success. I mean, I think there's uh, been good. Like, I, I think the commitment by India on net zero was actually. I think some of the journalists missed how big a moment that was. And even though it was 2017, I mean, that is a that is an enormous. Um, beast to get over the line uh, and so I think that is that very promising that the commitments on deforestation equally equally very welcoming and then even even um, you know this morning you can see China and the US um, and they're packed on on tackling climate change like I think it, it's far more than I imagined 
uh, than before before going into the conference. I was very pessimistic, and I think it's been better than than um, than than I thought. But maybe that was just clever press managing by UK uh-huh. government. <laughs> well, but, uh, but no, I think I think, and I mean, if these pledges, you know, I saw carbon brief analysis of this. Um, if these pledges are implemented, it, like the big if, sure. But it it will limit warming to below two degrees, about one point eight degrees, and I mean that is far better than we ever imagined going into this this conference. And you know, at the moment, we're on a trajectory for well before the conference, we're on a trajectory. I think about two point seven. So you know, it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge shift. But it, you know, th- these are commitments. They're not. Um, it's not exactly action yet. But I'm hopeful. That's that's all I got for you. <laughs> well, as long as uh, world leaders and uh, their governments are not also engaging in greenwashing, perhaps there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, but Ted, thank that's you very much for thank you so much for for joining uh, for joining me today. That was extremely helpful and it was a very interesting conversation. So thanks for taking the time to be with me. Thank you, Thomas. I've really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thank you so much, and thanks to all our listeners for joining. We hope you enjoyed this Polis podcast episode. At Polis Analysis, we are fully devoted to helping individuals better navigate the political world. So we would love to hear your thoughts and please do share any suggestions you may have for future Polis podcast episodes. Follow the Polis podcast channel on Spotify to access our weekly episodes. And if you want to better navigate the political world with accessible, fact-based and impartial analysis of global politics, then sign up to our free newsletter at www.polisanalysis.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening.